It's great to have you with us. And for those of you who are joining us online, I trust that this is a time in which uh, you get to engage with God and do business with Him. And I'm excited to be here, even though when you think about it at kind of first hearing, you might think, hey, such that's not something to get too excited about. And uh, here's the thing. Let me start with a statistic for you. The World Health Organization estimates that there's something between 260 and 280 million people around the world struggling with anxiety today. Now you add on to that all the other fears and phobias and mental health issues, and that number just keeps ballooning out. And the truth is every one of us, in some form or another, at some stage, we deal with anxiety or we deal with fears in our own lives. And uh, I wonder how many of you are dealing with something right now, where you're at. Is there something that you're kind of struggling with right now, that thing that kind of perhaps gives you a little knot somewhere here in your stomach, or, or that thing that kind of almost feels like you've got an ice-cold hand grabbing your heart. Maybe there's something in your marriage that you're thinking, Man, I don't really know how to deal with this. I don't know how to go forward in this, or perhaps it's something to do with your children. I, had, uh, I remember talking to a young couple who were like, I don't even want to have children. What a world to bring them into where they don't, they, the world around them tells them you get to decide on what gender you are. And, and that's confusing enough for us as parents. Imagine what it's like for the children. And uh, so there are certain fears and things that we deal with. I don't know whether it's in your workplace, in your career, or in your studies that you're thinking, yeah, I wish I could go to that university, but I just can't afford it, or my boss hates me. But you know what, I need that visa. I, I'm stuck here, I can't do anything, and that promotion just keeps eluding me. Maybe it's something to do with your health. Um, the beginning of uh, August, Michelle took off. Uh, she literally broke my heart. Do you know that? This is my wife of 31 years. Um, she went away to um, Canada. We have a rule. She doesn't leave me alone for more than four days. So good and obedient wife that she is. She left me for three weeks. And, uh, and guess what? Three days after she left, I had a heart attack. And, uh, and the doctors tell me it happened actually just before she left. So I'm not sure which is good that she stayed or that she left. I'm not quite sure. Either way, she still affects my heart 31 years later. Right? Uh, Michelle, dinner tonight, my love. Right? <laughs> and I don't get to sleep on the couch. But the truth is that in some form or another, we deal with stuff. I don't know whether you've got that report from the doctor that says, you know what? That doesn't look really good. And, uh, and those things really cause us to get worried. But the thing is this, uh, we can't allow that to settle in our lives. And perhaps as a Christian, you're even anxious about your anxiety. Because somebody's told you, you know what, you can't. This is not allowed. You're a believer, you're a Christian. Fear not. Don't, don't be anxious for anything in life. And that puts a pressure on you that says, man, am I really a Christian? Because I do feel anxious. You know, what determines it is not whether you feel anxious or not, because reality is that we live in a world around us that has much reason for anxiety. There's plenty around us that can cause anxieties and fears. What determines who we are is how we deal with it. So there's no need to feel guilty or condemned about fear and anxiety. In fact, it is such an important part of our lives that whether implicitly or explicitly, Scripture talks about it. And today I want to just address some of those. You know that Paul, 
considered to be the greatest apostle next to Jesus himself said this. He said, I feared for my life. What a, what a statement from the man who wrote so much of the New Testament. I feared for my life. But the thing is this, how do we deal with them? How do we deal with them? How do we hold a biblical view of anxiety and fear? Because if we don't, if we don't have a picture of what that looks like and how we deal with it, what it can do is it can slowly begin to eat away and erode the foundations of your faith. Suddenly, our fears and anxieties become bigger than the God who we know is sovereign over all things. So it's important that we keep our eyes fixed on the thing that matters, that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we allow that to fill our lives, that we allow God to fill our vision. Otherwise, we lose sight of what really matters. Welcome back to the Connecting the Dots series. I trust that you've enjoyed the first two weeks. We're doing something today that obviously is dealing with anxieties and fears. And I'm going to call this one, Run to Your Giants. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we surrender to you. Lord, in a world that is fraught with anxiety, with so much around us that can cause us fear, that can cause us worry, we look to you. In the unveiling of your word today, Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring truth into our hearts, let it settle. And the very peace of God, let it fill our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray for those battles that we face that may cause anxiety and fear even now. Would you, Holy Spirit, begin to deal with those in Jesus' name. Amen. Run to your giants. I think uh, those of you who are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, then you know that when David comes into the battlefield, that uh, the children of the armies of Israel are lined up on one side of a valley, and on the other side you've got the Philistine armies. And, uh, and every day there is this one man who the Bible tells us is a giant. His name is Goliath. He comes out and he stands there and he taunts the armies of Israel. And every man of them, without exception, is too afraid to go up against him. Then you get this little boy who comes, he's bringing, uh, he's bringing his dabba for his brothers, his lunch, brother's lunch, he's bringing food for them. And he's there and he hears this and he says, so who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Right? This is the armies of God. And he says, I will go up against them. This little boy, He's not even old enough to be in the army, apparently. But he says, I'll go up against him. And when he does, when he speaks to the king, the king he tells the king this. He says, the same God who saved me from the lion, who saved me from the bear, will deliver me from this. Friends, in our battles, are you confident of God being with you? Because when he gets to the battle line, such is his confidence in God that scripture tells us that he ran to meet Goliath. He ran to meet the giant. We spend most of our lives trying to avoid those things that bring us fear and trepidation and anxiety and worry. But here's David saying, no, no, I'm going to run into the very thing because I know that as I run, I'm not alone. God is in this mix with me because he's been there before. He was in my past. He will be in my present. And I want to say this to you, my friends, that the same God who's in your today is going to be in your tomorrow. If there's nothing else you remember of what I say today, can you hold on to that one thought? The same God 
who was with you, who's with you today, will be with you tomorrow. In a little while, we're going to worship and we're going to be singing about the faithfulness of God. Why do I know this? Because I was at the morning service, the one that happened just before. And I do love the fact that we get to sing and celebrate the worship and worship this God who's so incredibly faithful to us. And he, there's a line in it that really, really resonates with me. It says, not for a minute, not for a minute, not for an iota, not a second was I forsaken. God is with you today. He will be with you tomorrow. And you see that Jesus lived with that reality. He understood that. Even as he walked with confidence, can you imagine? If there's one thing that's going to cause anxiety and fear, I think it's that of a horrible death. I've said this before, you've heard me, I don't want to die a tame death. It's not that I'm go-quoting death, don't get me wrong, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to die this miserable death. But I don't want to die a tame death, I want, to, I want my life to have meaning. I want it to have purpose, and that's found only in God. And Jesus, as he's heading towards a brutal death, he's walking towards the cross. He's heading to the very thing that most people would run away from, he's walking towards. And what gave him the confidence to do that? How is it that he's able to do that? So towards the end of his life and ministry here on earth, he calls those who are closest to him together. He calls his disciples to, and in the Gospel of John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, you find this thing of a conversation with them that culminates in his prayer for them. And as he calls them together, he says this to them, Behold, he says, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come, and you will be scattered each to his own home, and will leave me alone. How's that for a word of confidence? Your friends are going to desert you. The ones that you thought you can rely on, they will let you down. The ones that you walked with, talked with, spent time with, you've ministered to them, you fed them, you've had meals together with them, they will all leave you. And it says this, yet I am not alone. Friends, that's the first thing that we need to recognize in the midst of trial, in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety, you're not alone. Can you say that? Can you say that with complete confidence in your heart? Has that settled in there that I'm not alone? Whatever I go through today, whatever I face, whatever circumstances life may throw at me, I am not alone. For the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, many of us are familiar with that last line. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. We know that. But when you see the context in which it was said of a Savior walking towards a cross and telling his disciples, telling the people who are closest to him, don't give up. Don't lose heart. I am with you. And he's reminding them there are certain things that we hold on to in the midst of our trials. And the first one of those is, you're not alone. God is faithful. The same God, remember that. The same God who's in your today will be in your tomorrow. And Jesus found his confidence in that whatever happens, even to the point of death, I know my God is with me. The second thing he said, I have said these things to you. What has God said to you? How's your prayer life? How's those, how are those moments of intimacy with God? Those are the things, even in the life of David. Before he got to the giant, he was by himself looking after his father's sheep. And it's there that God rescued him. 
How those moments of intimacy that you are hearing God, that when hard times come, when everything is crashing around you and there's such a noise and chaos, that there's that voice of God that says and reminds you, you're not alone. What has God been saying to you? See, the thing is, there's so much trying to grab our attention today in this world. And we can lose sight of God in that. Even what's right and wrong can be blurry if we do not have the truth of God's word guiding our lives. And so, when you look back at that scripture, that same text, you go a few chapters back, you find that God, has, through his son, has been saying certain things. And we hold on to those. What are the things he said? First he said, there's a helper. He said, I will go, but I'm going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit. The evidence of God with us. The Holy Spirit. I will send you help. I'm not leaving you orphans. The second thing, in a little while. I love that line, in a little while. Everything is temporary, however big. It may seem, however overwhelming life may seem, we hold in tension the fact that in the light of eternity, this is just a blip. And I'm not trying to belittle or make little of your circumstance. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to put some perspective around it that says, my friends, whatever you're going through right now, God is in your tomorrow. And He will rescue. He will rescue. Then he says something else. He says, ask your father. Again, it comes back to that thing of what's your communion with God like? Do you spend time listening? Do you spend time in his word? Do you spend time bringing your cares before him? 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Ask your father. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that when, when I'm faced with a situation, my first thought is, well, who can I call? Who do I know who can help me with this? Do I know a good lawyer? Maybe are you in the room? There's, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Who do we go? Who do we know who can help, who's got power or some authority there? But God must be our first point of contact. Our first call. Get on your knees and say, Lord, I surrender this to you because I know you care for me. He says, in me, you have peace. Can, you, can I just have that slide back up there, please? That same slide. I want you to see that line. I said these things to you, that in me, you have peace. See, our confidence and our peace comes from the certain knowledge and the assurance of what was achieved for us through the work of Jesus on the cross. What he accomplished sets us free. The resurrection gives us hope because he says, because I live, oops, you too will live. Because I live, you will live also. That's the promise. And so we hold on to those. In me, in me, in me, you have peace. Friends, I'm not alone. God is with me. Can you say that with confidence today? If there was a second thing, second title that I could give to this preach, other than run to the giant, it would be this, it will be walk into the fire. Again, a reference to an Old Testament story. Three Hebrew boys living in exile in Babylon under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were 
in positions of authority, they held positions of power and influence, but yet they were detractors. There were people who didn't like them, who didn't like their influence perhaps. Whatever it is, there were some among whom they were unpopular. And so they go to the king, the king who's kind of a humble guy, he's just built a big statue of himself and said, you guys got to worship this, right? And he says, you know, these, these Jewish boys, they don't believe in your gods. And when the music plays, they don't worship your statue like you have commanded. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls that we have to say, is this true? Is this true? I'm going to give you one more chance. And they, they're bold, eh? They say, you know what, king? It is true. We don't need another chance. Nothing's going to change. What we believe, nothing's going to change how we behave. And the king is furious. But I love the line that even in the midst of this, said, even if, we are confident that our God will deliver us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to do this. Are we in that place of being so confident in our faith, so certain of our future, and our eternity that we're saying, even if God doesn't rescue me in this life, I am still winning because I get eternity with God. That's the confidence that these three young men demonstrate. And so the king is so angry, he gets the furnace seven times hotter than usual. And he says, when the music plays, if you don't bow down, you're going in there. Guess what? They didn't. And guess what? They did go in. So it was so hot that the guards who were taking them to put them in the fire died. But what's beautiful in that story is that even as they are put into that fire, the king sees, didn't we put three people in there? How am I seeing four? And that fourth person looks like a son of the gods. His reference is, well, his own multiple gods. And he says, that man who's with them looks different. Looks amazing. And so he goes up to that place and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. And they come out. Nothing wrong. The ropes are burned, but even their clothes don't smell of fire. And the outcome of that is that Nebuchadnezzar says, he declares an edict saying, in future we will worship only the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you see how God gets the glory when we respond from a place of complete confidence in God? I don't know about you, but the idea of being tossed into a fire is not a great one for me. It might lead to some moments of anxiety, I dare say. I might feel a little trepidation because you know, I don't want to go into the fire. But these boys, they brought glory to God in their response. And even if you're familiar, what stands out is even as we see this confidence that these young people had, we see the same thing happening in the life of someone in the New Testament. Paul, the apostle, arguably considered the greatest apostle next to Jesus himself. He writes a whole list of stuff that he endured. For the sake of time, I've taken a shorter version of this because he lived with that same viewpoint that it doesn't matter what happens to me. God is in the mix. Ultimately, God will win and he will bring me through. And so he lives with this and he writes to the church in Corinth and he tells them this. He says, we are afflicted in every way. Life is hard. We are afflicted. Things are not going our way. I couldn't get that promotion. I didn't get that increment. Things are not easy, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. We are confused. We are uncertain. Where is God in this? But still, we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted. Because of what we believe, we don't get those things that we others get. 
Because I stand up for my belief, I don't get that. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. I dare say that when you listen to that litany of things that he went through, and if you read further down in that text, he has a longer list. Then there's, there are moments of anxiety in there. There's moments of fear, don't you think? Don't you think this would give you cause for worry when you hear this kind of thing? And yet, Paul does not allow the anxiety and the fear that might come out of these things to stop him from doing those things that God had called him to. And that's the whole point, friends, that when we give in to our anxieties and fears, we step away from seeing God for who he really is. And we step away from those purposes and plans that God has for our lives because sometimes they call us to things that are scary. They call us to step outside of ourselves. But Paul goes on to say this. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak. Knowing, knowing, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. Friends, are you confident that your eternal future is secure in Jesus? Because if you are, you can do anything. Now, I don't say that in the sense that, you know, kind of like the lady with a broken arm who goes to the doctor and he says, oh, I can heal your arm, you'll be fine. He says, will I be able to play the violin? Yes, of course. You'll be able to play the violin. She says, that's great. I couldn't play the violin before it broke. It's not that kind of thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's a confidence that we step into the things of God. Because we know God's got us. And so why, how do we live? He goes on to say this. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. My inner life, my prayer life, my communion with God renews me day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Can you see the contrast between the things of this world that are light and temporary with the weightier matters of eternity? And he says, by contrast, this is nothing. This is a glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're fleeting. They're momentary. But the things that are unseen our eternal. So you're not alone, my friend. Even in the fire, even in the fire, can you be confident that God is with you? And I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do want to remind you of this. God is in the mix. He's faithful. He is with you. You are not alone. Run to your giants, walk into your fire, and finally, go through your valley. Psalm 23 says this to us, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23 reminds us that sometimes it is necessary for us to walk through our anxieties. God doesn't always just pluck us out of something. Even in his fear of death, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and he says this, he says, I was afraid for my life, I feared death, but that was so I would rely more on God. So sometimes God allows us to go through that because he wants to reveal himself to us in the midst of all of that. 
And so we don't get to stand at the entrance to the valley and engage in a staring contest with fear. We get to step right into it, walk through it in the confident knowledge that God is by my side. Do you have that sense of God's presence in your life? Friends, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have him in your life, then all is lost. But when we have Jesus, when we have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in us, we walk through life with confidence. I hope you see the common thread in this, the one that you're not alone. Don't allow fear and anxiety to dictate the course of your life. Don't allow fear and anxiety to dictate how you live life. Let it instead be led by faith and hope. Does God care about your fear and anxieties? Yes, He does. Yes, He does. Absolutely. He does not want us to be consumed by them, but rather He came that we can be free and walk free and without fear so that we get to run to the giants. We get to step into the fire. We get to walk through the valley of life. It matters to God because in our most difficult circumstances, when God steps in, God is glorified. Can I have the worship team up on stage? See, our fear and our anxieties can cause us to lose sight of the big thing. We spend so much time fretting and fearing and worrying that this becomes the big thing in front of our eyes. But if we take a step back and we look at it through the perspective of eternity, we suddenly realize God's bigger, God's stronger, God's got you. And you see that in his letter to the Hebrew church, the author says this to us very clearly. He's written to them about the confidence they can have in the work of the cross. He's pointed them to the victory that is available to us and he's leading to a place of saying, have faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The assurance of those things we cannot see is where he's leading to. But in between, he encourages a group of believers and I think that this is a group of believers who are beginning to struggle in their faith. It seems like they were wavering and he says this, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew, you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Friends, we live with eternity in our eyes. Eternity is always on our horizon. We don't lose sight of it. And he says this, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Your confidence in Jesus, in the work of the cross. He's with you. You're not alone. Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. There's the line that reminds us that sometimes we go through things. We endure. We don't always come out victorious with the hallelujah. But we go through singing the hallelujah anyway. Because God is in the mix. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It's important to see that just because we are followers of Jesus, not everything goes our way, not everything goes well. But what we do know is that God is in the mix, whatever happens. Hold on. Don't give up. Remember, Jesus who is in you today is also in you tomorrow.